Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for dropping by. I uh, had a bit of a, a break uh, because of, well, the All-Star break. I uh, didn't figure there was anything important enough happening. Uh, figured you guys could survive without us. Uh, I guess you could have listened to Donovan Mitchell. Wasn't he commentating or judging or something like that with the broadcast for the dunk contest? Yeah, he was a commentator for it. Yeah. Which I I didn't watch a single minute of any All Star festivities, and I think I could have like I think I was just doing something else, like I don't know, browsing through Twitter, or, you know, anything except watching. You know, what was it Dennis Smith Jr. Didn't he like fail in in the dunk contest or something? I don't know. Did Did you watch any of the any of the stuff? No, I watched like part of the three point contest, but that's it. Yeah, see, like and, the. Oh, go ahead. Well, I guess some of the the Rising Stars challenge, but. Yeah, that was the one that I was probably the most likely to maybe tune into, but then I just didn't care enough to like look up when it was, where it would be on, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, like, the most I did was. Like, I think when the All-Star game was going, I'd be on Twitter and I'd look at some of the highlights. Because, you know, there are some entertaining parts of the highlight game. You know, throw it off the window and do a dunk. I think uh, Steph Curry to Giannis, that really high bounce lob pass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's some impressive things, but it's just not impressive enough for me to, you know, or it's not entertaining for me to tune in for two hours or so or however long it goes to watch two teams not play any defense and dunk the ball a bunch of times, or just jack up threes, because that's basically all the All-Star game is at this point. It's three-pointers and dunks. So, anyway, enough for Yeah, I mean, I do like that they, I mean, it is an exhibition game, and it's just, you know, everyone's out there to have fun, which I get, but it, unfortunately, for me, it's not entertaining. Like cool, yeah. There's some cool stuff. There's some cool stuff, and it's kind of nice to see them kind of, you know, play so loose that they can just have more fun that way. And it's not, you know, it's not meant for competition, but still fun. Yeah, I feel like the the best events at All Star Game because you know you look at what I said. Like the All Star Game is basically three pointers and dunks. Well, why don't we just have the dunk contest and the three point contest? Because those are actually fairly interesting. Uh, so long as they can provide good entertainment, you know, some entertaining dunks. Think of Aaron Gordon and uh, some other great dunks from not so long ago. And then there's a three-point contest. That was probably the thing that blew up the most on Twitter outside of that one uh, Giannis dunk. You know, it was the fact mm. that this random guy, you know, Joe Harris, who's basically Joe Ingles for the Nets, uh, you know, he, he ends up winning the three-point contest with, what, 27 threes or 27 points or something like that yeah i think it was like 28 and then curry got 26 yeah it was, it was something really good some random nobody uh that nobody knew about until now won the three-point contest but i, I still thought joe ingles should have been in a three-point contest but he didn't want to so you know that's that i guess yeah well i think that whole petition of Yahoo Sports started, I think it was, it was like, get Joe Ingles to the skills challenge. It's like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to take vacation. <laughs> it, yeah, see, the skills challenge, I don't care. I've even forgotten what they do. I, they just, what, race around some cones and throw a ball, like they pass a ball into a net. I know that's, like, part of it. And then, I don't know, some other things. Yeah. Uh, it, it just feels like the the All-Star game... The All Star like festivities, as we often refer to them. It you know, there's a lot of cool things that they can try. Like I think they should kind of branch out. The celebrity game's kind of a cool uh, little gimmick. You know, if if you get the right people in there, 
Um, you know, the dunk contest, three-point contest. I think the NBA should try and branch out and try some fun new things because the All-Star game is probably the worst part about All-Star weekend. Um, and that and that includes All-Star voting. Because, <laughs> like, there's more hype around All-Star voting than the actual All-Star game. Yeah. So I think the Pro Bowl's trying out some new things, too. Which, you know, Pro Bowl's in the same position. Literally nobody cares. Right. Yeah. But anyway, let's let's get to some Utah Jazz basketball because that did actually start up again, and it actually was very entertaining. Uh, had a couple of games this week: Oklahoma City and Dallas. One win, one loss. Um, which you, you probably could have predicted which one was the win and which one was the loss. Um, you know beforehand, but they came really close against Oklahoma. Which you know that's that's always a, an encouraging sign that you know for how good Oklahoma City has played. I mean they're five games ahead of Utah right now and they're third, just behind Denver. I think being able to compete with the Thunder is pretty encouraging. Well, especially because they're so much better than they were last year, and all it was was an easy fix. They got rid of uh, Ray the Buffet and uh, Carmelo. Carmelo was the biggest issue with that team last year. Ray the Buffet. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm missing Ray the Buffet is. Felton. Oh, Ray Felton. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always felt like when Ray Felton played the Jazz, he like played really good. I always yeah. felt like he did. No, I mean, well, what player doesn't play really well against the Jazz? I mean, let's be <laughs> honest here. Like, I guess no, that's I, mean, I mean, with Raymond, but yeah, with Raymond Felton, most of the time he does like for some reason play really good against us, and I never know wh- how he stayed in the league as long as he has. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, neither do I. There's just some of those players that just stick around forever. Kind of like a was it Andre Miller, I think, played for about all the NBA teams and was here until he was like 40. Even though he was never, never a spectacular player, he was just always good. Right. Yeah. I think, I think he had. A, I think he had a couple of All Star years, maybe. But yeah, it's just some of those players. But uh, yeah, like you said, Oklahoma City is a lot better, and I, I kind of figured that. You know, coming into the season, uh, you know, you get another year of Paul George and Russell Westbrook, especially since obviously Paul George liked playing in Oklahoma City enough to stay there and spurn the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, then they also added Dennis uh, Schroeder, or Schroeder. I'm still not Schroeder. sure actually. Is it Schroeder? Okay, I've not really known how to say his name. I have had like three pronunciations in my head for ever since he joined the league. Um, yeah, and I remember him because the Jazz, like he was one of the potential guys the Jazz could have picked, um, if they hadn't have traded up for Trey Burke, um, him and Michael Carter Williams. But yeah, you know, Oklahoma City adding him, Schroeder, Schroeder. Dang it, I've already forgotten what you said. Schroeder. Schroeder. I'll forget that in five seconds. But Schroeder <laughs> was a good pickup. I know there's some baggage there, but you put him on the bench. He's been, I think, pretty decent. His numbers look all right. I'm, I'm not privy to all the inner workings of Oklahoma City, but he's a guy that I think has done all right. Now let's, let's go <laughs> look at his stats. 15 points a game. You know, that's not bad. Oh, I mean, he's a starting caliber point guard who's coming off the bench for Russell Westbrook. Yeah. And he's not shooting that bad. You know, 42%'s not superb, but 35% from three is, you know, average. Which, yeah. like I said, you know, he's starting caliber point guard who can be very dynamic and is capable of putting up points in bunches. He's the perfect spark plug off the bench for a team that's already got huge energy guy, uh, huge energy guy in Russell Westbrook who plays with a contagious intensity. And then you add in Steven Adams, who's probably the most underrated center in the league. And that includes Rudy Gobert who, you know, didn't make the all-star game. Um, and then there's, they have a bunch of other good players. So they're sneaky. Good. You know, sitting there behind Denver and golden state and Oklahoma city. If, you know, Denver falters at all could be the second seed because uh, that's a oh, well. I guess they're three games behind. I said they're one game behind them, didn't they? Uh yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, I was looking at Denver and they're one game behind Golden State, so that threw me off. So they're actually three games behind Denver, but that's not terribly far away. So you know, the Jazz are still zero and three against Oklahoma City. 
but this one was certainly a lot closer. And I, I think we might get to this in a minute, but I think in a playoff series, the Jazz could, you know, maybe hang with Oklahoma City. They might lose, but you never know. Well, it was that way last season too. I think we only won one game out of the whole regular season against them last uh, last year. Yeah, I think that's true. Did, were we zero and four or one and three? I think we were one and three. I don't. I my. I don't really know. But uh, yeah, I mean, we can definitely hang with them. I think that was just the first two times. I mean, they just we weren't as connected as we were. I was just really good to see just how fresh everyone kind of looked like Donovan Mitchell started that game out. What was it like six for six? I mean, he just came out of the gate just on fire. Um, and they were competing at a very high level. The thing that killed us the, the, for that game was our turnovers, 24 turnovers to OK, OK, uh, eleven. They had 16 steals to our eight, everything else. We beat them on percentage wise, everything else. We beat them across the board. Yeah, you had a team 13 extra possessions and you, you know, give away those yourself. That's uh you're never going to do yourself any favors that way. Oh yeah, and and Ricky was uh victim or not victim. He was uh the number one contributor. He had eight turnovers. And there was like three straight at the end where I was just like, "Oh my god, get him off the floor, Quinn." <laughs> like Yeah, I think there was a, a fair amount of criticism that people kind of lobbed at Quinn Snyder and, and some at Ricky Rubio obviously. You know, for having him in the game, which, I mean, who else would you have in the game? Who who was the ending lineup? Was it just the starters? I don't remember. I mean, they brought Corver in to take the final shot, but yeah, I think it was probably it was probably Ricky Donovan, uh, Joe, Jay, and uh, Gobert probably because that tends to be their late game lineup. Yeah, unless somebody's out or whatever. But you know, I think that Quinn Snyder still trusts Rubio even when. He's turnover prone. He's one of those guys that's never really ended up in Quinn Snyder's doghouse the way that uh, a guy like uh, Dante Exum has or um, oh, there's another player, I think. No, Alec Burks was constantly in there. Mm. Um, but a guy like Ricky Rubio, you know, Quinn Snyder trusts him. But, you know, there are some nights and that, you know, Ricky Rubio has become a little more turnover prone than normal, which... Again, this is a debate that's kind of been going on in jazz land for a while is, you know, should the jazz hang on to Ricky Rubio? But I don't know if now is the time or, well, actually, well, be Mike into that later because Dante Exum's going to be returning. But first I want to touch on the, the Dallas game. Um, is there anything that stood out to you in that, uh, in that game? I think one thing is that the jazz were able to kind of pull away at the end there, despite, I think, allowing Dallas back into the game multiple times. Yeah, multiple times. I just think that that was a, uh, I mean, it's not an excuse, but, I mean, you just got off of a, you probably, they probably slept six hours before they had to be back to work, you know, uh, getting in late after a late double overtime game. But, I mean, the nice thing is, is that Dallas came off of back-to-back too. So, I mean, I think it was kind of honest. I don't know if it would have been any different had they not played the night before like we did, and maybe. But you got to give Dallas credit; they're a lot better than their record indicates, especially without Luka Doncic. Yeah, they they did play uh, very well, and I think one thing that stands out—you mentioned the turnovers against Oklahoma City—was it twenty-two or twenty-four? Twenty-four, yeah. Yeah, they only, Jazz only had seven against Dallas. Granted, Dallas only had three, so. Didn't exactly, you know, force a whole lot of turnovers, but, mm-hmm. you know, you definitely improve in that one area, and that'll help. If you only have seven turnovers, it's really hard to lose a game. And they ended up shooting pretty well. And I, th- and I think doing that on tired legs is is certainly an impressive feat. Oh, yeah, what, 48%? I mean, we shot 50% from the field and in OKC, I mean, obviously the the offense was significantly better these past two games. Defense, not so much, but I mean, it's good to see that the offense has found life in it, and especially Joe Ingles coming alive in uh, in Dallas. Yeah, that's that's just one of those things. When Joe Ingles plays good, the Jazz play play good. Yeah, it's it's just automatic. It's kind of like with Ricky Rubio. 
because uh, you know, he had 25. He had the same amount of points as Donovan Mitchell. Had very similar stat lines in terms of shooting. They were both 8 of 14. Uh, both had a, a lot of free throws. And then Jay also had 22 points. So you get, you know, a lot from a lot of your main contributors. You know, I think that's something that with the Jazz, it shows how good the Jazz can be when they're getting production from guys not named Donovan Mitchell on offense. You know, that's why we always, that's why I've been harping on the idea of Utah bringing in a, a second star, you know, Mike Conley or Tobias Harris or, you know, go down the list of guys we brought in. It, it's these games where you see the Jazz play well on offense, you know, that complements their defense. You know, that, that gives the Jazz their enormous potential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they kind of figured out that, and I think it was before, I can't remember who said it or where, where I read it, but they were saying that, you know, one of their biggest focus coming in from the All-Star break was getting those um, transition baskets after getting a steal because, I mean, they were just atrocious at it. They would either not see the opportunity and then they would back it out and then set up everything, let the defense set, and then try to score from there. And they were doing a much better job these past two games kind of taking advantage of that and um, getting the points when they're easy or easier. Yeah, and that is huge. For a team like the Jazz, they don't have a lot of guys who just go out and get buckets. They have to manufacture their offense. Even Donovan Mitchell, if you say, go get a bucket, well... He can't do that every single possession like James Harden does. He does it well in spots. You know, I see an advantage here. Let's cut the playoff. I'm going to go to the basket because it's wide open or mm. I have a chance. No, because normally the Jazz have to throw a bunch of passes around, do a bunch of back screens, and most NBA teams have to do this anyway. But, you know, they have to manufacture open shots for a relatively slow Joe Ingles. You know, a Ricky Rubio who's not a great shooter. Rudy Gobert, who can't create his own shot, and Derek Favors, who mostly can't create his own shot. So you have a bunch of guys who are decent at finishing when given the opportunity, but can't really manufacture their own shots. So yeah, getting getting the points when they're easy, and you only have like one or two guys to beat, then yeah, it's, that's something that will give the Jazz an extra you know, five to ten points a night, which, you know, that can be the difference between an extra two or three wins or two or three losses down the stretch. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think it will be interesting to see how uh, the jazz use that transition. Cause it's always been a theme where they are, they play really slow. So yeah, it will be, uh, it'll be interesting. That's my word of the day. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting, he said as he stroked his beard. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to another thing, and that is uh, playoffs. Um, so imagine that in uh, oh shoot, what was his name? The NFL coach. Oh, Playo yeah. playoffs. Playoffs? You kidding me? <laughs> we haven't won a game, but you talk about playoffs. And so, so we are going to talk about the playoffs. It, it is a little early, obviously. There's still two months left in the regular season, but this is something that I think we touched on probably back in November, so it was way too early back then. But now it's uh, perhaps a little more relevant and kind of fits into a little bit with, with what we've been talking about with Oklahoma City. Um, and that is who the Jazz might face in the first round and potential path to maybe Western Conference Final because that's kind of the that's the stretch goal for Utah. The, the main goal is to just get back to the second round at least match what you did last year since you pretty much have the same team. Let's get back to the second round. You know, and maybe if we get lucky, we can not face Golden State in the second round and, you know, can make it into the Western Conference Finals where we then proceed to get smacked by the Warriors in probably four games. But, so looking at it right now, the... the there's four teams that the Jazz will likely face because as it stands right now, they're in sixth. They're barely ahead of San Antonio. They're barely behind Houston. And then they've got Portland, Oklahoma City, and Denver ahead of them. And then Golden State. But we're not catching Golden State. so And we probably won't catch Denver either. So The highest the Jazz will probably be able to get is three. But that's, again, it's unlikely. Unless the Jazz go on a 
streak like they did last year. But the right now, if the playoffs started now, the Jazz would face Oklahoma City in the in the first round. Again. Yeah, again. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, I I think as we we touched on already, that that wouldn't be. I don't know if we did, but that that wouldn't be the worst thing. Uh, for the Jazz, because I I do think the Jazz could still stand up to them, you know, in a in a seven game series. Maybe they'd lose because, like we said, Oklahoma City is better, and Paul George is actually playing a lot better than he did last year. Oh man, Paul George! I I gotta give the guy credit. He's just on another level right now. Yeah, definitely. So he, you know, because in last year's series, he was actually really, you know, the weak link in terms of their star players. Uh, and in that, I think it was the decisive game six. He had an awful game. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I think that had a lot to do with Carmelo Anthony. You got three players, you got three superstars that are going to demand the ball at all times. So I, I really think that that was really the factor there. Yeah, I think with even though even though Russell Westbrook is actually shooting very poorly this season, Paul George is definitely making up for that with his, you know, all defensive. He's being talked about for defensive player of the year and. May end up winning it over Rudy Gobert mostly because of media hype, not so much to say that he's better. It's just you know the way awards tend to work. Mm. Yeah, so that that would be a tough matchup. Though I, again, I think the Jazz could handle it. They would probably push the series to six or seven games and would have a decent chance at winning it. But again, I'd be a lot less confident than I was last year because last year I was pretty sure that the Jazz were going to win, and they did. This year, I'd be a lot less sure. Yeah. Um, the other two are actually, they just seem to be bad matchups, at least at times. And that's Houston and Portland. Um, granted, I think we've blown both of them out. But mm-hmm. it just it just feels like both these teams kind of have our number. Because, yes, we did get that, that win over Portland. That was the Christmas Day game, right? We blew them out on Christmas. Yeah, well, that was, that was game number two, and we won the... First game and game two. So, yeah, game two was Christmas. I guess, so I guess it was the one game that we got blown at. Well, like I said, we're 2-2 two two against uh, both Portland and Houston, actually. Which is actually a better record than we have against Oklahoma City. We're 0-3 against Oklahoma City. So, it's kind of weird that, you know, when I was looking at this beforehand, I was thinking the team that I would rather play is Oklahoma City rather than Portland or Houston. That may have just been based more on gut feelings and recency bias than actual numbers. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, again, when it comes to the playoffs, matchups may just end up playing more of a factor. Uh, you know, that is kind of the way the playoffs tend to work is that if you have the right matchup, then you end up winning. It's like right now I'm, I'm covering, you know, high school basketball games and they're about to get ready for the playoffs. And, you know, some teams face a team that just has a better matchup then they end up winning. doesn't matter who's the actual better team because on paper, Oklahoma City is a lot better than Utah. Oh, they have two superstars. The Jazz have you know Rudy Gobert and a budding star in Donovan Mitchell, which, granted, that was the way it was last year. Mm-hmm. But the Jazz kind of matched up pretty well and were able to, you know, Quinn Snyder outcoached Billy Donovan for the most part, and the Jazz were able to get some good performances. So, I mean, of those three, let's look at the, the, the three main ones. Although we, we could also face Denver if San Antonio manages to jump ahead of us. So, I guess let's, let's open it up to those four. Out of Denver, Oklahoma City, Portland, and Houston, which would you rather see in the playoffs? Um, That's tough because I think, yeah, Portland figured something out with us, and they've got a dynamic duo in the backcourt. Same thing with Houston. Healthy Chris Paul and a healthy James Harden really makes things tough. Um, However, with the Houston series, Exum is a thorn in Harden's side to a T. So we have a healthy Exum. I think you can give us the win in Houston because they may have added and apparently a resurgent uh, Kenneth Fareed, who I, I out of nowhere is good again and really has helped bolster their defense, which is, I mean, good for them, but whatever. I, I still think that the Jazz would have a better chance of taking that matchup if, if Exum is playing it. Not just 
the level that he was playing at before he went out, but is going to shut down Harden on defense because then you basically have to just worry about Chris Paul at that point. And then those lobs up to, um, what's his name? Their center. Clint Capella. Clint Capella. Um, he's going to come back at some point, and they're only going to get better from there. So that in itself kind of scares me. Um, with Portland, I mean, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, those those two going off, it's really tough to beat. Especially, I think that Nurkic may have found out something against Rudy Gobert because he's had his he had his number the last game that he played. It was just, I mean, it was bad. So I moved down to maybe Denver. I think that that's doable. And I, and I, I can't say that because we've only seen two games against uh, Denver at this point. So we split the series so far. If we were to go off of what we saw in game two, I'd give advantage Jazz, but I still think it's too close. It's We haven't seen the series yet. We play them on Wednesday? Thursday. Thursday. So we play them on Thursday. So at that point, I would have a better idea if we were talking about this next week. Um, so I don't know. I think, if, I think our best matchup still would be Oklahoma City because... I think of what Rudy Gobert did against Steven Adams in that game. Steven Adams still got what he could and did what he usually does, but Rudy really just took him out of everything, and that was good to see. So, yeah, I mean, for us, it's all it's all community. It's all everyone being on the same page and the same energy level to win those games in any series against these guys. Yeah, and I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think uh, I, I'm not sure which one I would prefer. Um, I do like what you said about Houston because Houston's not as good as they were last year. I know that matchup with Clint Capella and Rudy Gobert is interesting, especially because Clint Capella mostly had Rudy Gobert's number in terms of – it wasn't so much that Clint Capella had Rudy Gobert's number. It was that Rudy Gobert got put in impossible positions over and over and over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may end up happening again because, you know, all you can say, well, Dante Exum would sort of slow down James Harden. Uh, Chris Paul is still, if if he were healthy, you know, if he's not in the series, I'd probably give the advantage to the Jazz if they're able to play good defense on Harden. But with Chris Paul and James Harden, because Chris Paul, you saw this last year with the Rockets, you saw it the year before with the Clippers. He's just a jazz killer because he's able to run that pick and roll with usually the DeAndre Jordan or Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. He's able to neutralize Rudy Gobert because not only can he put the lob on point, he makes the mid range shots when you sag off of him and take away the lob. So that's just a really, really tough matchup uh, for the jazz, assuming a, assuming a healthy Chris Paul. Um, and it's kind of also the same with Portland in that they also have a dynamic point guard. The, the Jazz just have trouble guarding point guards. Um, that's the same with Oklahoma City. They've never really been able to slow down Russell Westbrook, mostly just try and neutralize his impact. Um, so that's why probably of all of these, I, maybe Denver might be the best matchup, um, although they're, they're also the best team that the Jazz could face. They're They're better than all these other ones. There's a reason they're second in the West right now. Mm. Um, but I do kind of like the fact that you know their best player is their center, and Rudy Gobert will be able to play defense and play pretty well against... Um, I'm spacing his name right now. Um, Jotic, Nikola Jotic. Yeah. So he'd... You know, it's not like he's going to just shut down Jotic, but he'd be able to play him pretty well. And Denver does have a lot of good supporting players, but I think the Jazz could do pretty well against them. And again, like I said, we'll see more on Thursday because we'll be at Denver. The Jazz will be at Denver. So if they end up winning that game pretty handily, or at least showing that they can really match up well with Denver, then I think that would show again that maybe we can match up with them in the playoffs. Because that is a, it's one of those likely ones. Because right now the Jazz are a game out of seventh. Um. So, and yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't see San Antonio taking that over. I mean, yeah, they've got one more loss than we do, but I just don't think that this San Antonio team that Popovich has is built for longevity. 
I just they just don't have the pieces to come off of the bench to help out DeRozan and um, and uh, Aldridge. I just don't see it. Um, unfortunately, I mean, obviously, San Antonio will be in the playoffs. I just don't think that they'll take our spot uh, or go in front of us in the standings. But yeah, no, I think I think that the Denver thing is you're onto something there because. I mean, Jamal Murray, he can go off at any point. Um, what's his name? Is it Morris, their two-guard or something like that? He's he's okay. I mean, and Paul Millsap, I love Paul Millsap, but he just doesn't fit the mold there. And I just – he's too easy to guard at this point. Like the, the last game we saw against him, Paul Millsap was almost a non-factor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's all predicated on how we play them on defense because, yeah, I mean, Jokic is going to be the uh, – the biggest problem for the jazz and if you can just keep him at bay and just take care of everybody else i mean you've got all the four wins you need in that seven game series yeah and they're not the most spectacular team on defense next on offense so sure. you, know, you have you have you know jamal murray and gary harris i think was the player you were thinking of gary harris yeah thank you yeah and you know like i said paul Millsap's just getting too old at this point um so yeah if as long as the Jazz could handle them defensively, offensively they'll be able to do pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's again, it, it may just be again about matchups because the other three potential ones you're playing this really really good point guard, or you know with Denver, let's see who is the you know Jamal Murray is, you know, the point guard of for Denver, but he's not as good as you know Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, or a healthy Chris Paul. But, yeah. And and the thing is that if the Jazz were to get, let's say they were in the sixth seed, sixth seed, uh, I'd prefer to stay in sixth because if they were to win in the first round, they would likely end up facing the Denver Nuggets in the second round, which would be much preferable to facing Golden State. At least if you're trying to get to the conference finals. Now, if you're wanting to get to the second round, obviously you want to be in the four-five matchup, but then you end up playing. Golden State in the second round, and boom, your playoffs are over. But I think it it may be more advantageous for the Jazz to be in sixth if they want their aspirations to be at least getting to the conference finals. But that does also increase the risk of losing in the first round, because then you're likely playing Oklahoma City or even Portland. But anyway, so we got... There's actually some interesting news. I know you were looking into this, uh, Trey. There was uh, some news from Joe Ingles. I don't know. Was it during All-Star Week or was it, uh, was it yeah, after All-Star Yeah, uh, it was on the 13th. So it was still during the All-Star break when he finally posted that. Uh, I think it was on the Players' Tribune, but Andy Larson on the Salt Lake Tribune kind of summarized it and uh, did his own interview with him not too long ago about um, their son Jacob having uh, autism. And um, I think this isn't to take away from, you know, the not, not predicament, but what they found out about their son, it's not to take away from that at all. But I remember saying, you know, we had this discussion of how we thought Joe Ingalls was not right. Like something was on his mind and that's probably why he wasn't doing as well. This was it. I mean, he even goes in and the story he tells to Andy Larson, like, you know, they he was just tired, really tired. And when he approached Quinn Snyder about it, you know, Snyder basically told him, like, look, this is more important than anything you're doing about throwing a basketball around. And that has, you know, that's meant a lot to him. But now that he's been diagnosed and they've been treating their son at a very, um, at the earliest stage of development for him, that um, he and his wife are kind of spreading the word um, for autism awareness and, you know, kind of getting people to talk to people and get support from other people to look into this. And he's even said himself, like, you know, we're, we're lucky enough that we can afford to do these things, but, you know, we want to help people realize that, you know, you can get the help and not have to spend all the mass amounts of money on getting treatment for this. So I think that's really cool. Um, more reason to love Joe Ingalls and his family, obviously, but, um, uh, coming back to it not to discredit him he woke up against Dallas so I think that him getting this off of his chest and finally having this out in the open has really helped 
in terms of uh, his mental health and just kind of where his energy level is. Because I now think about it and it's like all the other times that we've seen him on like camera interviews or even during games, he just looked tired. He always had the like the rings under his eyeballs, you know, like the sagging eyeballs. I just and I, I now I just like, man, and to show up to all 57 games that we've played that so far and just, you know, put in work is just like you got to clap for that guy. That's just awesome. Yeah, he's there's just so many guys on the Jazz that are just great locker room presences. There's not really a player on the Jazz you think, you know, that guy's a locker room cancer or even a guy that's not a locker room benefit. It's hard to find one. You have like all the, all the leaders for the jazz are locker room positives and not just like kind of neutral. Yeah. Um, so you, you look at Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, Ricky Rubio. I, I may have said him twice already, but uh, just all, all these different guys. And then, you know, got a feel for Joe Ingles going through something. that's not easy. You know, as, as a parent, I, I'm not a parent, so I don't fully understand, but, you know, something scary like that can obviously weigh on you, and maybe it has. Because Joe Ingles has had a pretty, a, a fairly down year relative to some of his recent production, and maybe it was just weighing on him, making him tired, all these different things. And so hopefully, you know, if that was it, getting that, getting that off his chest will, you know, bring his numbers up. Of course, that's again, that's not the most important thing in the world. Uh, obviously the, the more important thing is what he is doing, um, as far oh, sure. as, uh, as far as awareness and things like that. So, right. And like I said, I don't want to take away from something that, you know, they, uh, he and his wife have to deal with every single day and has nothing like his basketball numbers at this point, like it's irrelevant. I don't care. That's uh, not the point of this. It's just awesome for him to do that. I mean, I like, it is something that he has been able to get off of his chest the work that he will have to do with his son and not just him, but his wife, the work that they are going to have to put in there is, he's still going to look tired. He is always going to be that way. I don't think we're going to see anything in terms of uh, better production. It'll still be like, kind of like Dallas where we'll get this every once in a while. But um, for his mental stability, I think it's, it's very good for him to finally be able to just talk about it because I think before he came, uh, he came out to, um, to the public. Um, I think he'd only. I think he said he only told like three or four people. Quinn Snyder was one of them. Um, Dennis Lindsay was another, and I think he said Donovan and Jay. I think, but yeah. So that, that it'll be interesting to see how this you know impacts him, his family, and all that going forward. Obviously, don't want to pry too much into his private life, but you know, it's something to remember that these guys are human. Yeah. So, and that they have their worries, and even though their lives seem perfect, and that you know Joe Ingles is, if he's smart about it, he's set for life financially now, uh, much less the millions he'll make it the rest of his career. But you know, despite that, and his life seems to be perfect, and then he gets to play basketball all the time. You know, he's got problems of his own in his own family. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard, it's hard to compartmentalize kind of not trauma, but those big life changing events, you know, finding out, like you said, I'm not a parent either. So I can't even imagine like, number one, it's hard to raise a kid as it is. Number two, you throw in an extra layer like that. That's, that's tough on anybody. I don't care who you are. Yeah. It's for some guy who's obviously, you know, when we, Get kind of get kind of a glimpse into his public life. He's he's a family man. Oh, absolutely. And so he he cares about his kids and his wife and you know all that. So uh, just <laughs> at this point, it's kind of best of luck to him. Um, not just as a basketball player, but also as a parent. So. Yeah. Well, and and not to not to switch topics too abruptly, but the Spurs just lost to the Knicks. So. Oh well, that's. There's an update for us. So now I think the Jazz might get a full game ahead of because they were yep they were a half game ahead of the Spurs. Yeah, full game now. Two lo- two extra losses basically. Yep. Thirty three and twenty six versus thirty three and twenty eight. So there we go. A live update. <laughs> All right, but uh, moving on to a couple of things, we'll kind of probably finish on these last two topics here. 
Uh, they both deal with point guards uh, moving forward. Now, the first one is that Dante Exum will theoretically come back to, to play for the Jazz. It seems like forever. Uh, he had a sprained ankle, although it was, A, more severe than the one that I think it was Ricky got a sprained ankle too. Um, there's somebody did, but it, it was more severe. There's also a bone bruise. Um, so it wasn't just the kind of sprained ankle that you or I might get where we're back within a week and we're basically playing it mostly or, you know, at about a hundred percent. So, but again, so he will be back within a week or so. I hope I haven't really looked into the latest, uh, you know, when he'll be back the timelines, not that the jazz really set them out. But the question is, you know, how much will Dante bring back to Utah? Because they've been doing pretty well without him. I don't think he really would have swung any games that the Jazz won or lost. So, like, how much do you think Dante Exum brings back to the Jazz? I mean, you mentioned in a playoff series against Houston he'd be a key, but do you think that he adds anything to the Jazz's playoff push as they go through these last two months of the season? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially if he comes back the way that he went out, I, or before he went out, not the way he went out. Because uh, he brings so much better uh, cohesiveness to the defensive strategy because he's so long, he's so fast. I Come on. I think it's only going to be better for us. He's still, I mean, we'll have yet to see if he becomes like a spot-up, pull-up, dribble, create your own shot shooting guy. But I just, you know, regardless, he, he's hard to stay with. He's hard to get around. And that's that's only going to be beneficial. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things when we talk about how he was playing, it was mostly on the offensive end. Because defensively, he's pretty much been like like what you said. He's He brings a lot to this Jazz defense ever since he became a major part of the rotation. Uh, offensively, you look at his last 14 games, um, excluding the one where he went out and only played eight minutes, uh, he was shooting 49% from the field, 35% from three, 86% on free throws at two per game. And he's scoring nine points, getting four assists, and uh, just under a couple of rebounds. So a pretty good bench player. And a guy who brings a spark of offense, which, again, I think that's one of the biggest keys because... Now, Quinn Snyder's always loved Dante Exum for his defense. You see, like, defense is the number one reason that Dante Exum played in the playoffs against Houston. But it it's his offense that'll make him a key rotation player. Is that if he can overcome his many shortcomings on, on offense, then that, I think, is the biggest key. Because, yeah, Dante Exum will come back. He'll be in the rotation. He'll get 15-ish minutes per game, depending on how things go. But if he's going to be a key contributor on this team in terms of the Jazz you know, making something of his return, then I think it, it really does come down to, will we see the Dante Exum on offense that we saw? The guy who had, you know, he had a stretch of three straight games where he had like he averaged like, what was he, he had 15, 20, and 13, so 16 points a game and was shooting north of 50% from the field and from three and getting a bunch of an assist to boot. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's possible and we won't see it at first. I mean, he's going to be out for what a month by that point or like six weeks. Yeah. He's missed. I think at this point, 18 games, it was game 41 for the jazz. Then we just finished the 59th game of the season. Okay, yeah. I mean, he's missed a significant amount of time. Ricky did miss a lot of time too. Near, obviously not as much, but um, you know, he came back with rust on his on everything. But I mean, it's just going to be a matter of him getting back into game game time. Obviously, you can't emulate that in practice, and I'm sure that you know he's been. Has he been doing contact practice? Do we know? Um, I know he's been in practice. I don't know if he's been doing contact. I've I've seen him them talk about him being in practice. Although sometimes he's not at practice, so I mm. can't remember. But uh, one thing, and, and I just looked up a potential timetable. He'll be Dante Exum's going to be reevaluated in two weeks, as of 
the 22nd, so two days ago from where we're at right now, or three days depending on when I post this uh, podcast. So that's like right around the Memphis game on March 8th, if I'm doing math right. Actually, I think Holy I'm... crap. So that puts it like towards the end of the season again. Yeah, so a lot like it was last year. What, didn't he come back in March of last year or something like that? Yeah, it was like, I think we had 10, maybe 12 games left. Yeah, I think he played somewhere between 10 and 15 games. Probably only 10 games at full speed. Yeah. So yeah, he'll he'll get, you know, I'm not going to count that because it's way too many, but <laughs> he'll, he'll get a, basically a month. If he, if he came back after the Memphis game, he'd get one month of games. From March 11th against Oklahoma City to April 10th against L- um, L.A. Yeah. I mean, just remember, I mean, last year when he came back from injury, he wasn't too uh, he wasn't too good to write home about when he came back. But, man, did he provide some spark. He did what he was supposed to do. He did what was asked of him. So, I mean, that's all you can really ask moving forward going into the playoffs. And that's the thing. That's kind of the, the base expectation is that he will provide at least you know something a lot like he did last year yeah. and for what he was doing most. But I I think you know, what I'd hope is that he'll bring more. Obviously, sure. I can't necessarily demand that. There's only so much you can ask of a player. Sure. But I think it it would be huge if we got that you know that 14 15 game stretch of Exum before he left. I think that would put the Jazz onto another level. Not so much another level that they would be able to beat some teams in the playoffs and really make waves in the playoffs, but it would make things more interesting for the Jazz. You know, it's not putting them over the top; it's just kind of putting them up a couple of notches. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. You add that extra piece; it's only going to be good. Yeah, it's, it's something that I've I've been saying. I think I've said it on this podcast. I've said it to my friends and other people. Is that, and this may or may not still be true, but I, I think that the Jazz championship hopes. And how good they can be rely a lot on Dante Exum. Um, and that may or may not be true depending on if they can land a free agent. Um, but an all-star level Dante Exum makes this team truly scary. Granted, my hopes of him being an all-star are fading very quickly. Yeah, well, and luckily he's still young. And he still needs to be able to stay on the court for more than 40 games in a season. <laughs> you know? Um, I, mean, I don't even know what his max is. I don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he could stay healthy and continue to um, develop offensively, I think that I mean he's pretty complete on the defensive end. He could he could polish some things up for sure. But I mean, really, he's just lacking in his on the ball movement and uh, you know that pull up shot. If he, I've talked about it before. If he develops a pull up shot, he's dangerous. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of things that would make Don Jackson a very dangerous player. Yeah. Uh, and shooting being one of the biggest, probably. Probably the yeah. biggest. Um, so one last thing. Again, we'll, we'll probably finish on this. Uh, we are now officially, obviously, past the All-Star break, if you haven't noticed. Uh, and that means Ricky Rubio is supposedly due to start playing really good. Because if you look at his last you know, three years... Last year and then his last two years with his uh, with the Timberwolves, he's played significantly better post All Star. At least looking at his um, shooting numbers. So like, let's look at um, his shooting splits from last year. Oh, I clicked on the wrong link. Um, last year he was shooting, I think, just barely over forty percent overall. Yeah, so last year pre All Star game he was shooting forty one percent overall, thirty two percent from three in fifty four games. After the All-Star break, um, he shot 43% overall, but 40% from three. Mm. And he also went from averaging 12 points, five assists, and four rebounds to, well, he basically added a re- one rebound per game. And uh, he went from 12, five, and four to 15, five, and five. So a jump in his like raw production, a jump in his shooting percentage, and then his offensive rating plus minus went from negative 0.5 to plus 16.9. Wow. So that's and that's awesome. And I hope that we can get that. But boy, I tell you, that OKC game did not show me that that was a thing. 
He was much better in Dallas, but my God, eight eight turnovers and like three of them came at the worst times of that game. I just, yeah, I hope that we could get that because, yeah, when Ricky, when that point guard spot, especially Ricky Rubio, is playing at a high level, the team is really scary good. Yeah, and, and that's something we've said repeatedly is that when the Jazz get really good production from their point guard, then they do better. Although something I realized kind of because when I was talking about it with somebody else is that it may just be that when the Jazz have another really good score consistently, they're just really good. They may yeah. not necessarily be Ricky Rubio or um, George Hill like it was a couple years ago. Just when Ricky Rubio is being efficient shooting, the Jazz becomes so much better and it really opens up their offense. So, Yeah, well, and you can say the same thing with Jay Crowder too. I thought Jay Crowder these past two games has just been phenomenal. I mean, he's not blowing you. He's not blowing your mind with the stats he's putting up, but he's still he's putting in that work, and he's shoot and he's hitting that three a lot more consistent, which is good, which is a good sign. Yeah. So if if we do get that, uh, you know, post All Star break, Ricky, that we've again, it's not just last year. It was his last two years with the Timberwolves. It wasn't quite as drastic, although in some areas it was. Hmm. Um but he does tend to play better after the all-star break. I don't know why it doesn't make sense, but for some but reason, it's good timing. <laughs> yeah, it was good timing last year. And, uh, we'll see. Uh, and if he does play well and you get Dante Exum back and you get some good play from everybody else and against an easier schedule, the jazz could make it all the way to fourth. And with some luck, the third seed, it's unlikely, but we'll see. Stranger things have happened. Right, yeah. There's not many there's not many tough games left on this schedule. It's really lightened up. I think the biggest the biggest and toughest stretch is coming up in like the next three or four games, I think. Yeah, so Yeah, we'll see how they, they handle that stretch of games. Um, sure. Schedule. Sure. And I mean the last two games of the season are the Denver and the Clippers, so now the Clippers aren't gonna be as much of a tough opponent now. They would have been earlier, sure. but I think now without Tobias Harrison, among others, they become a, a lot less scary. It's, it's guys like Sacramento who got better, who were playing, I think, playing them once or twice over the next little bit. I think just once. Oh, sure. I mean, even that, but I, I mean, let's be honest. Quinn Snyder has Doc Rivers' number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems so lately. All right, well... Any last thoughts before we cut it off for the evening, for the week? Um, no, I'm just glad that the Jazz get three days off before another back-to-back. <laughs> yeah, if they can get enough rest for that. Yeah. I don't know, there's just been so little Jazz basketball you know, with the All-Star break, and then there's also, like, we played, like, two games, I think, in the week and a half before the All-Star break, it felt like. Yeah, it was odd. So, my girlfriend yeah. enjoyed that time. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody who uh, knows somebody that's a jazz fan probably enjoyed that because we weren't glued to whatever device following the jazz. All right. But anyway, well, we'll go ahead and end it here. Uh, once again, this is hashtag jazz. Jason Walker, Trey Sanders. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>